episode of The Jay Davis Show. I'm super excited about our guest today. Michael Silverstein is here with us. He is a longtime friend. He's one of our investors. Uh, and super excited to talk with you, Michael, about some of your experiences. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Jay. I'm glad to be with you. Well, why don't you start off by giving everyone a little background history of your career? Good. So I was born in Manhattan. And I grew up in Queens. I was a poor boy. Uh, I somehow won a scholarship to Brown University. And I was 15 and a half years old. When I walked to the bus station, I took the bus to the subway, the subway to the Greyhound bus terminal, and then arrived at the bottom of College Hill at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. And the rest is the story of my life. I became the editor of the Brown Daily Herald. And that was sort of like the crowning achievement of my early life. I went to work for United Press International in Memphis, Tennessee. I covered West Tennessee, Northern Mississippi, and Eastern Arkansas. The highlight of my life was when Elvis Presley died. He was a Memphis resident. Uh, I then went to Harvard Business School. I was lucky enough to run the Boston Marathon, make first-year honors, got invited to a Boston Consulting Group cocktail party where I met the founder of the firm, and after four hours of asking me questions and answering them, he said, son, I want you to come and work for me. And I held up my hand and I said, Mr. Henderson, his name was Bruce Henderson. I said, Mr. Henderson, I accept. I then spent 35 years at BCG. BCG was a tiny little company when I started. at 40 million revenues and three offices. And I helped grow it to... I think it's 14 billion now. So from 40 million, billion, and for, I was employee number 89, and there are now 24,000. I retired from BCG in 2016 because I remarried, and the new wife said, I don't want to be with a guy who travels 11 million miles. I want to be with a guy who is full every night. And so I did a little bit of private equity with the Carlisle Group, and then I decided to go out on my own and make my own little investments. Sylvia is a wise woman. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. She is. And she's amazing. So what, as you've done this, I mean, you've invested in lots of startups now, uh, very active angel investor, investor in general. What have been some of the key things you have learned about startups that maybe were surprising or different from the time you spent at BCG? So at BCG, I wrote two books that are really sort of core to my heart in terms of investing. The first one was a book called Trading Up, which talks about new luxury goods, products that have technical, functional, emotional benefits that grab a consumer and make the consumer excited, that have them become a, a fan and an apostle, and to speak highly and tell other friends, study the brand, know all the details, know why it's better. I love because brands like that are addictive. They are brands where people stand up at a cocktail party and say, you should have one of these. Uh, the second book was a book that I wrote called Women Want More, which is based on the largest quantitative research with 22,000 women around the world about what they want. What most people don't know is that 78% of the decisions about what gets purchased in the household are controlled by the female. The male is largely irrelevant for almost any household good. And so by understanding how to trade up 
and understanding how women buy, you can create magic. My first big investment was Coterie Diaper. This is a product that had technical, functional, emotional benefits, but they were hidden. What we found is that the Coterie Diaper, as designed, even as I came across it, would absorb liquids at 70% more. It was softer to the touch. And as a result of the baby not getting wet, the baby would sleep longer. So the benefit to the mother is that she wouldn't have to wake up to change a diaper every two hours for a newborn. Anyway, that business became big, and that allowed me to meet you, Jay. You may not even know this, but the guy who was running Coterie Diaper knew that I had invested in a cleaning company called Clean Cults. He had seen the Clean Cult advertising, and he said, can you call Brian, the CEO of Clean Cult, and find out who did the ad, because I want to talk to him. And so I called you, and we had it. We hit it off immediately. You know, it was like two thinkers with the same line found each other in the Atlantic Ocean. It was just by accident. And you told me about Pillow Cube, and I said, I'm in. What, what do I think about? What do I think about when I when I look at companies? Uh, so I look at the markets. I look at the product. I have in front of me one of my products. This one's called Better Booch. It's a the best taste, tasting kombucha in the United States. It has flavor, refreshment, health benefits. It's absolutely stunningly delicious. 92% of consumers who drink this and who drink the other brand called GT prefer this. And so if I can figure out a way to tell the story about the product benefits and I can get consumers to listen, that's my winning formula. I also like economics. You know, I'm a numbers guy. I love numbers. I love to count. I love a good gross margin. I like to see 70% gross margins. I like to meet with the CEO and really get to understand the personality. Every 10 CEOs, one passes muster. You know, none of them, they don't have experience. They don't have honesty. They don't have truthfulness. They don't have structure. They don't have framework. You know, they're sort of wandering out in the wilderness and they don't know where they're going and they don't have a map. Now, sometimes I can find people like that. And if I trust them, if I understand them, if I can predict their behavior and see a path, I can get them to be profitable. I can get them to grow. That's so interesting. I was going to actually comment. I still remember where I was when we first talked. I was in my garage working on some some <laughs> a project, and I remember you said, are you making something right now? I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm making, I'm doing some woodworking while we're talking. I remember it was on a Saturday. And yeah, I think it's it's unbelievable to see how you've been able to kind of nurture and find these these great CEOs. Um, as you do that, uh, any other things that you look for in the product? I think you've done an amazing job, like Coterie. I think traditionally people with Coterie would have gone, let's go really deep into the technology and why the diaper's better and I think exactly like you said you immediately steered them towards moms want to sleep let's help tell that story of mom sleeping more any other things 
then give her reason to believe. So, so you know, honestly, my you know, my two things are: does the person have character? Is the CEO a money? Do they have any amount any amount of wisdom? A lot of the CEOs that have entrepreneurial bents are not nice people. I won't invest with anybody that's not a nice person. I will, I'd be right. And I'm sorry to say, I don't give second chances. You know, people be there, people either want to love to work with me or they're out. Uh, on the product side, you know, I like, I like to mold. So I like to improve products. I believe in Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3 product improvements. I believe that, in fact, you can do that on the benefits that you tell the consumers of the cost that it takes you to get to market. Uh, at BCG, I had a handful of CEOs where I was the CEO whisperer. These are multi-billion dollar companies that are everyday life in the United States and around the world. And my skill is to pay attention to everything. So... Yes, I knew you were woodworking. <laughs> I thought that I thought that was that was nice that you had a hobby that you had things that you could do that you were really special at, and that would give you recreation. I mean, the truth is that a CEO who works 150 hours a week is a CEO who's really not very productive. He's a a CEO that doesn't have a path. Yeah, it's really true. Well, I love what you said about you know. Finding people who kind of fit a certain mold, I think that's so important as you look at companies and what is this person like. Uh, as you're looking at a particular entrepreneur, uh, any stories that come to mind, or even at your time at BCG where, where you kind of either saw some clues that were like, oh, that's telling me. Like, What are some of those things you noticed? Because I think you are a, an extremely perceptive person and you can not only perceive things, but kind of, I don't even know if classify is the right word, but but kind of put it into context very quickly at, oh, this is the type of person they are, and this is what that means. Any things you would teach people when you're looking for those things, maybe not even an investment, maybe in your job, maybe in the company you should work for? Yeah, so, so honestly, I have a three-step process. My first step is immersion in the category. Sylvia describes me as Robert De Niro doing a new film. And I become an absolute, complete expert in how the product is made, how it's served to consumers, how they consume it, how they repurchase it. Uh, I was doing a project for a Mexican restaurant once, and it was I studied every element of Taco Bell's menu. I studied how how do you how do you turn it? How do you cut it? How do you make the cheese? What do you do with the avocados? Where do you get the beans? What's the composition of the meat? I saw a lot of improvements possible, by the way. And you know that's what I do. I get completely immersed in the category. And the competitors, the market, the consumer, the target segment, I look for holes in the market. So where, where are people playing today and where are they not playing? And for me, they call it market fit. I look for market fit. Uh, the second second element of my, my immersion is to really understand the personality. So I told you I grew up in Queens. I was a little kid, went to college, and I walked up College Hill. 
I, whoever I work with, I want to know their story. I want to know about their family. I want to know about their history. I want to know about the things that they're proud of and the things that they're not proud of. I like to ask a question, what was your biggest failure? And a lot of people don't like that question. And they basically try to get off of that question. And I hang on to it like a rabid dog because I really want to know. I want to, you know, you, as human beings, we learn more from our failures than our successes. Our failures are the things that we carry around with us. And we say, don't do that. It's like touching a hot oven. How do I avoid it? And, you know, as a little kid, you learn. Don't put your hand in an electric outlet. Don't put your hand in flame. And those lessons are the lessons that carry you forward into life. Some people are crippled by their failures and can't get over them. And I'm trying to understand character. I'm trying to understand honesty and integrity. And a lot of people lie. So a lot of the venture decks that I get, you know, I say, what's your CAC? What's your LTV? Who's your target consumer? Where do they live? And the general answer is whether they know it or they don't know it, they give an answer. And often the numbers don't compute. So I was recently looking at a meal company and he said that his LTV was $5,000 and his PAC was 35. And, you know, he's doing $200,000 a month. And so then I said, well, if your CAC is 35, your LTV is that high. Why are you growing at 2% a year? Couldn't quite answer the question. And, you know, of course, he also sent me the product. And I put them through a reasonably elaborate taste battle with me, Sylvia, and some friends. And everybody voted two on a 10-point scale. Needless to say, I didn't invest. So delight me, surprise me, make me happy. And, you know, I can put on a hat that says I can be anybody. I, you know, I, the Robert De Niro thing is be an actor and experience the product through the eyes of the real consumer. What's, what do you think is like one of the best examples of that from the BCG days? What's, what's kind of one of those experiences that you go back to again and again of, man, we really, this really solidified for you. I think, like you said, those two books were very crucial, but what are, what's one of the experiences? Yes, there are three classic BCG experiences. So I love to take CEO of the client enterprise out into the field. And I took the CEO of the world's largest insect control company out into the market. And we went into a trailer home with an 82-year-old woman. We sat in her trailer and we talked about cockroaches. And she's saying that, you know, when she sees a cockroach, she thinks of her ex-husband and all she wants to do is kill it. All she wants to do is kill it. And she'd love to have a cockroach killer that would kill every cockroach and she'd have to spray it once, but she doesn't mind shooting them down. And suddenly I'm sitting on her bunk bed. He's sitting in her only chair and a cockroach crosses the room. And she starts spraying the cockroach. And I count to myself, one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. And I say to myself, we can change the formula. We don't have to have so much active ingredient, the insecticide, because she's drowning the cockroach. They have water and insecticide in the solution that's coming out of the valves. And 
she is penetrating the cuticle of the cockroach and drowning it. And so we can invert the ratio, cut product cost by 50% and have happy customers. In fact, we increased the pressure valve so more water came out and the cockroaches flipped over faster. That's a classic story of understanding the product use and how do you change characteristics to make it more economical. Uh, another one is I was working for the world's largest producer of processed cheese. And we did a map of how is cheese used. And, you know, everybody can sort of say what the applications are because everybody uses cheese. It's quite universal. And so you use it for hamburgers, you use it for grilled cheese sandwiches, you use it for dips, you use it for a really wide application. One of the applications was pizza. And the client didn't have a pizza company. And mozzarella cheese is the biggest single consumer, is the biggest category of cheese in the United States. And so we started thinking about how do we make more money in mozzarella cheese? And we decided that the only way to do it was to forward integrate and become a pizza manufacturer. And so we bought a tiny little pizza company in Wisconsin for $50 million. And we took that pizza platform and turned it into a billion-dollar platform. And then we put on top of that a trading-up pizza and turned it into a $3 billion business. So the, the insight was lay out the consumption data, where's cheese used, what are the key applications, and how do we become a greater participant? It was expanding. It was market expansion. So two little BCG vignettes. But there are a lot. I love it. I love the the cheese story. is so interesting. I and, and also the cockroach. I think that's so. I think one of the most common things I see with startups is a lot of times startup people as they grow and as startups scale, they disconnect from customers. So all of a sudden you go from selling at a farmer's market and you're talking to your customer every day and you're getting feedback and all of a sudden it's like I haven't talked to a customer, you know. And forever. And and that can be a really big disconnect, especially if you have a founder who forgets to listen or they dismiss feedback. Like, eh, yeah, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. So my single most famous story is the work that I did for a laundry company. And for this laundry company, the CEO was a multi-billionaire and a tough, a tough cookie. I was considered the only guy that could stand up to him. And so... I got into my first phase of work in the laundry category. It was a $2 billion business. It made about 10% EBITDA and it hadn't grown. And so I got him to agree that BCG would do 100 qualitative interviews with single professional women in urban markets. And the plan was to do a three hour interview. The first hour was in her living room where we talked to her about her lifestyle and her interests and her social life and the laundry that she chose and why. The second hour was in her bedroom where we took all of her underwear, we put it on the bed and we had a clipboard and we took each item and we said, uh, what is it? Who is the manufacturer? How much did you pay for it? When did you buy it? And how often do you use it? That's called occasion of use. That was the most important phrase that we came up with, which is 
every every piece of laundry had a purpose. Some was some was for work, some was for exercise, and some was for social. And single professional urban women in major markets have active social lives, but they have a separation between work and social. And so Monday through Thursday was work, and generally these sophisticated urban professional women actually at that time were wearing white cotton underwear. And it was not sexy, it was not glamorous, uh, it was not comfortable, but that's what they did. If they wore the client's underwear on Friday and Saturday night when they either had a date or they thought they might have a date. And so the big breakthrough in the third hour of the interview was what do they want out of underwear and what's the design characteristics and what's the spec. And so they specced the new brand for the clients, right? This was invention on the spot that they wanted sexy, glamorous, and comfortable. And they wanted it in a form that they could wear every day. And we introduced X by Y, put it in there. We put it in their Herald Square store. And within nine months, we had a new $400 million business. And it was basically called patterning and understanding consumers to get to understand their dissatisfactions. So interesting. What's what's something that you've learned in investing and working more with startups that was new? Something that maybe you didn't pick up or even contrary to something you saw at BCG? Well, there are a lot of things. I mean, first of all, I used to have teams that were as big as 100 people. And now my team is me. So I have, to, I have to manufacture the data. I mean, I still am very data oriented, but I make shortcuts. And generally these little companies can't afford to buy data. They can't afford to do focus groups. So I actually go into stores on their behalf and they talk to their consumers. And I have their consumers tell me, yeah, it's qualitative. It's not quantitative. But then we put it through a quantitative screen. So I have a hair care company. And we were having problems with a couple of the specific colors. And so we did an online survey of 500 of our consumers to understand exactly what they wanted. And we were able to change the formula, improve it, change the positioning, and dramatically increase sales. So, you know, the same tools, the same methodology, but on a low cost scale uh, is at the hands of every little consumer company. It's amazing what you can do with an email. I mean, that's just something, I mean, back back in a lot of these times you were talking about, you couldn't send a survey by email to customers and get data. They had to use a company called Harris Interactive, and they had a standing pal where they would call a thousand consumers every day, and you could pay about a thousand dollars to get two questions in. And now you do SurveyMonkey to your mailing list, and... You know, if you have 100,000 people on your mailing list, you can get 1,000 responses in two hours. It's amazing. Some ways we're spoiled. And it's amazing how people don't use it. My average portfolio company CEO does not do a lot of surveys, is not very curious. The most important characteristic beyond honesty, intelligence, is curiosity. So you have to be really hungry to understand it's amazing. Uh, what, what's been the funnest part of being an investor? What's the thing you've enjoyed? 
I actually have very, very close friendships with a couple of my CEOs, and those things are friendships forever, and that's the most important thing to me. Well, any other further advice or counsel you'd give young entrepreneurs? So I think one of the things that people don't do is really put themselves in the shoe of the investor. And so I read a lot of decks. I mean, I, I get five decks a week. And, you know, most of them look like they hired somebody to do the deck for them. In fact, what I really prefer is that the entrepreneurs take out a Sharpie and they write down, what's my point of difference? How am I going to market? What are my improvements that I'm going to make over the next six and 12 months? Who's my team? How am I going to use your money? And realistically, what's my end game? How do I get out? Do that. That's a storyline. You don't have to hire a firm to do your deck, and you don't have to go through endless iterations. You do not need to hire an accounting firm to do a financial model that has 50 tabs. You need to be able to talk about what are you going to achieve and how. So it's amazing how we've gotten so deep into some of this. I mean, I always say this with marketing. I think Facebook in many ways has enabled a form of marketing that's unbelievable and incredible, but it's made people so focused on kind of the very drilled down view of marketing that they often forget the big picture of, how are we talking to customers? Are we telling the story in an interesting way? But then they're sitting there and they're like, oh, if we tweak this one thing on you know, our Facebook pixel and we do this and we do this, then you know, we're going to make tons of money. And usually it's not. It's usually the big picture, big strategy kind of questions and decisions. One of my favorite from you uh, is always, you would always ask me, and you still ask me this, but you would always say, Jay, there's tons of people who still have never bought an original Pillicube. Don't forget how many people have never bought. And I, because th I think that is, especially in our day, we, in the current kind of uh, realm of entrepreneurship, it's a lot of discussion about go multi-channel, create more SKUs, go broader. And you've always reminded me like, this is what your core greatness is. Don't forget that. <laughs> Don't forget that a lot of people have never heard of you and they've never bought. So let's not forget that as we're testing and as we're doing new products, that's important and that's crucial. And they all snore and they all want to have a better night's sleep and they're all happy with their current pillow and they haven't learned how important it is to replace your, per your pillow periodically. And so it's been, and I think that's something that comes with your experience and wisdom is, hey, this is a, a lesson hard learned from thousands of companies that you've consulted with and worked with of those things that you've seen people do time and time again where they get distracted. So, good. Well, Jay, it's always good to see you. It's always you great talking. Smile. It's always, always wonderful talking. Thank you for coming on. Hang around for a second. We'll, we'll talk after we end. But thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you, Jay.